Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Well, let's take our Bibles in hand and turn to the Old Testament book of Psalms. Psalms 24, our text this morning. I want to thank all of our staff and our volunteers for putting this all together. It's been a long, long time since both services worship together. Let's thank the Lord for them. Yes. Well, this, of course, is Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday in which we commemorate the Lord's entrance into Jerusalem. It signaled the end of His earthly ministry and the beginning of what many Christians call Holy Week, which is a week that will include the institution of the Lord's Supper in the upper room, the heart-wrenching prayers of Gethsemane, Judas's betrayal, the subsequent arrest of Jesus, the sham trials and perverted justice of the Sanhedrin, Herod, and Pontius Pilate, the brutal beating and shameful treatment of the only one true, truly innocent person that has ever lived, and of course the torturous death of Christ on the cross, his burial in a borrowed tomb, and culminating, of course, with his glorious and triumphant resurrection that we'll celebrate one week from today as Easter. All of those events began with his very public entrance into the holy city, riding the colt of a donkey and the symbol of peace and royalty. Uh, we heard that account from Matthew 21 as we began our services this morning. The people cut down branches and laid their coats in the road. They sang Hosanna and praises to God. And some asked, who is it? What's all the commotion about? And someone said, it's Jesus, the prophet. Yes, but more than a prophet, riding that little donkey was in fact the king of glory. And Matthew commented such in verse 4 when he says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey. And those of you who attend adult Sunday school will recognize what prophet Matthew was quoting. It was none other than Zechariah. And the title of the message today is, Behold the King. Now, rabbinical tradition tells us that at the temple in Jerusalem, there were certain psalms which corresponded to the seven days of the week that were recited one by one in their order daily. And the psalm that was read on Sunday, and of course Palm Sunday, as Jesus was entering the city, was this 24th psalm, a psalm of David. Let's read it now. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the holy hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, 
that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of this His word. Now the Psalms, of course, are songs, many of them written to be accompanied by music. Some of them, like this one, were written to commemorate events in the history of the nation of Israel and the Jewish people, or specifically in, in the life of the writer. And many of them contain prophecies concerning the future. The 24th Psalm has all of those elements. It's likely that King David composed this Psalm when the Ark of the Covenant was brought to Jerusalem. Now you know that the Ark of the Covenant was a sacred chest that contained the tablets of the law that God gave to Moses up on Mount Sinai. It was to be handled with great care. It symbolized the very presence of God among them as they camped in the wilderness before finally entering the promised land. But because of the sin of the people, the Ark ultimately fell into the possession of the enemies of God's people known as the Philistines. And the Philistines found out very quickly that they didn't want the Ark of the Covenant in their camp, and so they sent it back. The Ark was for a time possessed by a man named Abinadab and later by Obed-Edom. But David had it in his heart to bring the Ark back to Jerusalem, and so he did. And it was at the procession that the ark was brought in, David at the front, dancing before the Lord. And the priest had that procession in their mind there at the temple as they recited this 24th Psalm every Sunday. The song has three stanzas, and each gives a different perspective of the king. In verses 1 and 2, we find the king's realm. Verses 3 to 6, we find the king's people. And the final stanza, verses 7 through 10, show the king's glory. This outline is at the back of your program there if you'd like to follow along. First we see the king's realm, verse 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Now a realm is the domain or extent of activity or interest. The realm and extent of the king of glory's interest, David says, is everywhere everything, and everyone. This is what we mean when we say that our God is sovereign, that there is not one molecule in the universe outside of His realm. Now, most of us, having grown up in a democratic republic, have a hard time understanding royal sovereignty. After all, we elect our leaders, don't we? And we place limits constitutionally on their authority, at least in theory. Of course, for thousands of years, and in some parts of the world to this day, people have been ruled by kings and queens, sovereign monarchs, those invested with nearly limitless authority and power, and in many cases, wealth. I read with great interest this week an article about the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, a man by the name of Mohammed Salman. His net worth is estimated somewhere north of $25 billion dollars though most economists think it's much greater than that, most of which comes from the massive oil reserves under the sand dunes in that empire. And although uh, no matter what the actual number is of his net worth, it's nowhere near what we read about the Lord's wealth when it says his wealth is the earth and all that is in it. In fact, all the oil in Saudi Arabia truly belongs to the Lord. God is sovereign over the world and those who dwell in it, that is, all of us are under His authority. 
And though Muhammad Salman inherited his position and power and wealth from his family, our God's authority, power, and wealth comes by virtue of his own creation. Scripture says he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. We read this in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things created by Him and through Him, and nothing has been created except through Him. And so Jesus, the rightful King, is King by virtue of creation. So in short, our King's realm is all-inclusive, yet there is a clear sense in which there are some within the King's realm that he has a special relationship with. Those who have the right to have an audience and fellowship with the king, these are the king's people. And we read of them in verse 3. Let's look at the king's people now in verse 3. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, who has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. So there are four prerequisites for a person to be called the king's person. Before he can enter into his presence, before he can have an audience with the king, he must have clean hands. This speaks of outward obedience, Remember that in the Old Covenant there were certain ceremonial washings and cleansings before the people could worship before God. But of course that was symbolic because Jesus said that what truly defiles a man comes from within. And that's why the second prerequisite for having an audience with the king is not just a clean hand. The Pharisees had clean hands. They gave outward obedience to the Old Covenant, but they didn't have a pure heart. Scripture says their heart was far from the Lord. And so the second prerequisite, we must have inwardly clean souls. And a person must not have lifted up their soul to falsehood. He's speaking there specifically by the context of idolatry. The great sin of Israel is that they often turn to foreign gods. The first two commandments were about that. Of course, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no graven images, but as we've studied in the book of Zechariah and will throughout the summer in the Minor Prophets, Israel time and again lifted up their heart to false idols. So that speaks of a, a right relationship with God. But then he says, that person who enters the Lord's presence must not have sworn deceitfully. That speaks of our relationships with human beings. We must have integrity not only with our relationship with God, but also with one another. And for those who meet those qualifications, there's a promise attached. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord. What it really says in the Hebrew is that he will be vindicated. In other words, that person has the right to enter into fellowship and communion with the king. And vindication, as you know, is another word for justification. That is to be declared right. And worthy. You see, the problem with these four qualifications is the problem with all of God's standards as it relates to our relationship with Him from our perspective is that not one of them meets Him. The Bible says there's none righteous, 
Not even one. And, and it's not just that not even one of us is righteous. None of us is righteous for even a millisecond of time, which is why we need a Savior. That's why we need a substitute. And that is why, of course, Jesus came, according to his own words, recorded in Mark 10. Scripture says, calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them, but it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many." Jesus in that verse declared his mission, which was to die as the ransom for many. And of course, those little animals that the Jewish people brought with them to the temple to sacrifice had no power to save. But it was accepted by God as a type and a symbol of the coming once for all sacrifice of his own dear son. And finally, on that day 2,000 years ago, the king and the lamb entered the holy city in the person of Jesus. Now thirdly and finally, let's look at the king's glory in the final stanza of Psalm 24, beginning in verse 7. The psalmist writes, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Now in ancient kingdoms, when the king had been away from home for a long time, he would return to his capital city with great fanfare. And as he approached the walled city, his riders would go before him and call out, Open the gates! And the gatekeepers would reply in turn, who is at the gates? And the king's men would yell, It is the king. Open the gates that the king may be received by his people. This is the picture here in the final stanza that I just read. The call goes directly to the gates and the doors themselves, rather to the doorkeepers. Lift up your heads, O gate. Open up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And they return... Who is the king of glory? And the answer is the Lord, mighty in battle. Now, the world tends to picture Jesus as a weak, almost milquetoast male. Jesus is not weak. In fact, he is the champion of champions. He indeed is mighty in battle. The Lord has proven his sovereignty over all the universe by defeating his enemies. And please don't be so naive to believe that Jesus didn't have enemies. And don't be so naive to believe that we don't have enemies. Jesus says the servant is not better than his master. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, the Apostle Paul expresses this truth. Speaking of Christ, he said, He made you live together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having counseled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. 
when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, that's speaking of battle, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. And Jesus has declared victory, friends, over sin and death and hell through his sinless life, his atoning death, and his glorious resurrection. And that's what we've come to celebrate this Holy Week. And we're going to celebrate all of those truths at First Baptist Keller this week. Now, in conclusion, I said that psalms are songs which often celebrate an event that has already happened. And sometimes it also prophesies events that are yet to come. And I believe this to be the case here in the 24th Psalm. For example, one of the things that's clearly already happened is the Ark of the Covenant being brought into the Holy City. You can read about that in your Old Testament how the people celebrated and devoted themselves to God. Not that they worshipped the ark, but they worshipped the God who was represented by the ark. And then, of course, fast forward many hundreds of years later, and there's Palm Sunday, I think, fulfilled in this prophecy as the king of glory, though most of the people just thought he was a prophet, came in to the hosannas and the praises of the people as they laid their palm branches in the road and their robes upon the ground. He came in on that symbol of royalty, the foal of a donkey. And then, of course, there was another triumphal entry. Just some weeks later, as Jesus fulfilled his mission of dying on the cross, three days later, he was literally and gloriously resurrected. For 40 days, he ministered among the people. He was borne witness to by hundreds. And in their very presence on the Mount of Olives, he ascended back into heaven. And the angel says, just as he ascended, one day he's coming again, right? And so as Jesus came back into heaven, I suspect there was a grand entrance. As the angels who came to meet him perhaps said, open the gates of heaven. And the question came back, who is it? It is the king of glory, mighty in battle. He has won a great victory for his people, hasn't he? He has defeated death, hell, and the grave. And we celebrate it every Easter morning. But there's one more fulfillment yet to come, isn't there? Christmas time, we celebrated the Lord's first advent. But we said then it's anticipation of His second coming, isn't it? And that will be a great and marvelous day. We read about it in Revelation 19, verse 11 through 16. John the apostle was given that great and high privilege of seeing how it's all going to end. And he was told to write down what he saw for our benefit. And this is what he wrote in that text. John said, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, 
Say it with me. King of kings and Lord of lords. Praise the Lord. That's a day that is coming in the future. I wonder about you, dear friend. Are you ready for that day? If you're here today and you have come to an end to yourself and you know that you don't meet the qualifications of fellowship with the king because your heart is not pure, you've told lies, you've broken all of God's commandments and you stand before him helpless and hopeless. If you come to the end of yourself, that's a good thing. Because Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize they're a spiritual pauper, that they don't deserve an audience with this king. Though he makes claim to their life by virtue of his creating them, they have not yet bowed the knee to the lordship of Jesus. I wonder about you. Have you bowed your knee to the lordship of Christ? Have you recognized that you fall short of his qualifications? Do you recognize that without his vindication, without his justification, you'll spend eternity separated from him in hell? Friends, today is the day of salvation. Who is this king of glory? It is the Lord, strong and mighty. He has won a great victory at the cross for you. He has taken your sin debt upon himself. And as Paul wrote in Colossians, he has canceled the sin debt. And for all, everyone who will put their faith and trust in Jesus, they will be forgiven. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that is if we recognize King Jesus for who he is, we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, that he's done everything he claimed to do, then we'll be saved. And he follows that promise up very quickly with these words, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're saved here today, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. This is holy week. This is sacred ground we walk on this week. If you don't yet know the Lord, you can today. Confess your sins. Repent. Turn from them. Turn towards Jesus and received his gift of grace. Paul says salvation is by grace through faith, not of works. It is a gift of God. No one can boast about that. Only Christ gets the glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gospel, Lord, that is so crystal clear that a child can understand it that all of us are sinners by nature and by choice. None of us in and of ourselves meets the qualifications of fellowship with our Holy King. We don't have clean hands. We don't have a clean heart. We're not right in our relationship with you and therefore we're not right in our relationship with other people. Lord, we are undone without Jesus. And yet into that hopelessness, you sent Christ and he willingly left the glories of heaven and all of his prerogatives there. And he took on human flesh and he lived a perfect, righteous life for over 30 years. Tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin, Christ died for us. And Father, he went to the cross and he did what you sent him to do, which is to die in our place as our substitute. So that those who would believe in him could be justified and vindicated 
and their sins washed away so that they could meet those qualifications of eternal fellowship with you. And Lord, I praise you for many hundreds in the sound of my voice who are born again. Father, I suspect with a group this large, there's some who don't yet know you. So Lord, I pray your spirit would convict hearts of sin and judgment and righteousness. Father, would you draw sinners to salvation today? Would you hear their prayer and would you grant faith and repentance? Father, when you do that, we're going to be very careful to do what the angels in heaven do when there is repentance on earth, and that is we're going to rejoice and we're going to celebrate. Lord, we thank you in advance. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.